Fan Morning Show, Sports Time 590 the fan, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning. Most anticipated Leafs game of the season? Like I don't I don't feel like that's that's going out on a limb here. The Leafs yeah. in Edmonton to play the Oilers, and the Oilers have won ten consecutive. The Leafs have lost three consecutive. I don't know if they're at a crisis point. Mm-hmm. But, like, if this continues any longer, you could see it. Yeah. Like, as, as early sure. as Saturday on Hockey Day in Canada against the Vancouver Canucks, two of the top two players in the sport right now, mm-hmm. one the greatest goal scorer in the NHL since he stepped onto the ice, and the other the greatest point getter since he's stepped onto the ice. Yep. Also of 64 goals fame from a season ago in Connor McDavid. Like, yeah, I I don't know, honestly, what, what second – this is – after saying the words out loud that this is the most anticipated least game of the season, I don't think that's even a discussion. It's not even close, is it? Um, I'm trying to think offhand. I feel like I, and maybe this is just my own sensibilities of the matter. I, I feel like I'd anticipate a Leaf game more when they're, you know, like not flailing heading into it. I think that's my own sensibilities maybe coming into it. I I had high, high anticipation for when they eventually played a game again, when they returned from Sweden, but then it was a two o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. Cause who cares about what I have to do on any given time. So I think that, yeah, you're, you're right in terms of a narrative standpoint, in terms of the way the Oilers are going right right now you know i think a lot of people were excited for that abs game on on saturday night but then it went the way it did and it kind of took a lot of the nah, not of the same it's not the same but i think we've talked about this the idea of measuring stick games or litmus test games there's so few and far between and the abs are still yeah. absolutely one of those but no you're you, there's you know a different level of oilers versus anybody so yeah i think you're right you know what i did last night and until i realized i wasn't smart enough to figure it out what'd you do I was like... I could just, again, just presume you're not smart enough to figure it out, and then you wouldn't have got down this wormhole. How do we figure out a regular season that's still balanced for everybody, but unbalanced? play a bunch? No, (laughs) all the Canadian teams play each other, like, a little bit more, right? Like, the the Western Conference teams, you only see twice, right? You see one on the road, one on... You see them once on the road and once at home. Mm -hmm. And... I guess you can argue that that adds even more juice to it. This is the one time the Leafs go into Edmonton to play the Oilers. I would argue that we need more Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews in our life. Like, not as much as the North Division, okay? That, uh, other than you, you're the only person that was like, wow, that was great. Proof of concept. So fun. The Leafs won all the time. I know how how, so weird that I enjoyed that. Sure, sure, sure. Like, aesthetically, you enjoyed, you know, them going on the road and playing three consecutive. I know the, the, the results were... Score bored. <laughs> okay. But, like, didn't you get sick of seeing... Because no. yeah. I did. No. And I think most people got sick of yeah, I the, never... the series of three consecutive games against the same team during the regular season. Postseason can give me, obviously, seven games, but no. I have never, ever said to myself, I'm tired of all this Leafs winning. It's never happened in my life. <laughs> okay. It never will happen in my life. I'm just being honest. All right. Um, I was sick of seeing the same team. Yeah, it's fine. You're allowed to. Uh, I wish there was a way, and and it it there isn't because well, there is, no, but there no, there, but there you can't isn't, live in though, this world because you can. You can just there's say 25 other teams in the NHL. That's the problem. If you like, here's unless you, you add no, games here's you to the do. regular season where it's like, oh, you do an in-season no, Canadian no, no. Here's division tournament type thing, you cannot, you can't. You without totally okay, blowing up the whole regular season schedule, can't get more Canadian on, uh, Canadian team on Canadian team games. Somebody's going to tell me the math of this doesn't work out, and you just keep that to yourself because I don't want to live in that. Again, okay, I, know, I was that's trying, the crux to, of the I issue. Was yeah. trying to figure out the math. Why can't this just work? So I understand why you're you're Dallas. 
your Coyotes, your, you know, whatever, those the, the Florida teams, they're not losing any home games against the Leafs. Like, you cannot do that to them. It's the biggest day of their, their season, whatever. But why do the Coyotes have to come here? Like, what do I care if the Coyotes never, ever came to Toronto and you just gave the Leafs that game against so just, you? You just choose yeah, all you just, the... I pick all the also. It's <laughs> I am the decider. I'm the czar. Yeah. I say, here's all the teams in the league that do not matter. Sorry, St. Louis Blues. I don't mm. care if you come to Toronto once a year. Maybe I feel differently if if Jordan Cairo was Connor Bedard. But guess what? He's not. So I'm okay not seeing the Blues. Like, if you want to do it, I actually think that's the only way is you have to have a panel and I'm the czar of it. Um, maybe you can be a part of it, but this is very much Damien and the Northern Star Award. Like, I am the czar, okay? Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. You just decide all the teams in the league that do not matter. They don't come to Toronto, and then you give those dates to teams that you do want to see. That's the way. I, hey, it makes no sense. It's never going to happen. But yeah. if you want to do it, that's the way. Do you know how the NHL regular season schedule works? Like what the permutations are? It's, it's, I barely know it how changed. my own life schedule works. It changed recently. And I know in Major League Baseball, it went from 19 games within your division to what is it, like 13 now within your division in Major League Baseball. And it's not it's not totally balanced in the NHL. Yep. But like within your division, you play four games against five of the opponents in your division. But there are two opponents and you only play three games. You play three games against all the other eight uh, teams within your conference that are not in your division, then as you well know, you play uh, home and home. I'm aware. Against the teams in the other conference. So I don't know. Is there a way to like scoop off some yeah, more division games? You can't again. get rid of the division games. So I don't know. No, you don't. We I need just someone told smart. You I just told you all the teams that don't matter. God. Just do them. Oh, the show is missing somebody smart on it. They could figure this out. Uh, oh, well. Gee, <laughs> right. that's just, sorry, Luke. That's just mean. <laughs> I was talking about us. Oh, okay. I thought you were implying something. <laughs> That's what it certainly sounded like. I think there's not a lot no, of people. Buddy, the IQ level is about to go up. Uh, this insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It is Luke Gazdick, uh, Sportsnet NHL analyst, host of the Mitts Off podcast. Luke, you agree with me, right? We need more. We need more games between the Leafs and those Western Canadian teams. We need way more of these boys. These are my two favorite teams going out of tonight. It's a shame. And you know what? When I played, too, I wish I came home more, right? I'm born and raised in the city, so when I was with Edmonton, you only get to come home once a year. I wish I had a couple more of those. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. Again, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. But, yeah, we need more than just two Leafs-Oilers games. Is this the best rivalry in the sport? Like, I, I understand that there's obviously no playoff history between these two teams. But if you were if you were – and take the fact that they play in Canada and the NHL wants to market its game to all of North America and the United States. But, like, if you were just choosing the best potential rivalry, would these be the two teams that you'd pick? Yeah, right now, I mean, it's up there for sure. Two of the best players in the world. Um, I mean, it's just two teams I always love seeing. I mean, this is a personal thing for me as well, like I said. Like, two, probably my two uh favorite teams in the game but if you're looking to market it with some of the stars that are involved and and all the history behind both organizations it's up there for sure yeah you got the last well it's only three dudes but the last four heart trophy winners in in this game right like we 
do so much McDavid versus Matthews. And, you know, I know people in Edmonton don't short sight him, but it's like uh, Leon Dreisaitl also also playing in this game. You know, I want to do a little compare and contrast with with this team because, you know, it's it's full-blown panic or we're on the absolute precipice of it here in Leafland with the three straight losses. And obviously the Oilers are are going in, in a different direction. And, you know, so often when things are not going well, and again, this isn't just Leaf fans. I think this is fans of a lot of teams. They'll point to one or two positions on the roster and say, well, what do you want? This guy is a top pairing D, or you can't win with this guy playing X many minutes a night. Well, I think a lot of Leaf fans would be surprised to hear about top pair defensemen Cody Cece in, in Edmonton. Like, what is going on with that Edmonton blue line? Because I just look at the names here, and yeah, I like Nurse. We've all had the conversations about the cap hit. You really like Ekholm, and you know, Bouchard is a nice player, but who certainly has his warts. Like, I would not look at that blue line and say, oh yeah, that's a team that's that's winning 10, 11 straight games right now. What, how are they able to do this right now? Honestly, they were a mess early in the year um before the coaching change uh it was it was uh, it was a nightmare honestly uh, most nights they just looked out of place they looked out of sorts they weren't making plays tons of like really bad game-changing mistakes and since the coaching change like i wasn't i love paul coffee he's one of my favorite people in hockey it was pretty public that he didn't even really want to take the job um and honestly he shored up that decor and really turn them around. I give a lot of credit to Mark Stewart too, their assistant coach, longtime NHL defenseman in Winnipeg. And um, they, they're just solid right now. And I know like CC is a guy, I mean, he hasn't scored a goal this year, but he's a guy earlier in the year too. Him and Boosh were making some bad mistakes, but ever since those guys took over, I know Stewart was there last year as well, but ever since Koff took over, they just look steady and they're starting to make plays no one's really trying to play outside of what they know they can be, um, but they're just making good, solid plays. Darnell Nurse is playing some of the best hockey that I've seen him play. He gets a lot of flack for the amount of money that he's making, especially with diehard Edmonton fans. That That's a lot of chunk of your cap, and, and that's always the conversation around him. But to, honestly, for me, he's earned every penny this year. Um He's been their, their rock, but even a guy like Cease on his right side, he's just been solid. He doesn't, he's not making tons of big mistakes anymore. They've been pretty solid in their own zone, and they just look more prepared and just more confident. And I understand that can come with eight, ten-game winning streaks. Everyone starts feeling better. Everyone's playing a little taller, a little more confident, but um, they're just making good, solid plays. Their decor was their anchor earlier in the year and I think it's really really powered them through this winning streak yeah pretty shocking is you know Leaf fans have just seen the Sharks twice in in the past week that this Oilers team lost to the San Jose Sharks uh in in the the final foray into the the Jay Woodcroft era so you know we're talking about the the coaching change and the impact it can have on a team like what is the most important thing an NHL coach does is it strategic is it putting guys in the right spots is it the lines or is it actually like the stuff that comes off the ice or the, like the, the relationship building aspect of it what's the most important thing an NHL head coach does oh man it's a pretty good healthy combination of both I, I've been through a lot of coaches even in my time at Edmonton I basically had four coaches in three years I had Mac T for a bit so I've kind of seen it all and I really think it's kind of a healthy combination of both. First and foremost, it's building relationships and it's the motivating part of it. 
And when I say that, it doesn't have to be a guy that comes in and gives a rah-rah speech and really, you know, motivates you to do this and this, but you got to at least want to come to the rink every day and work for this guy, right? Like I've had coaches before where, I mean, I was playing in the NHL. I'm not going to lie. I'll just, I'm a pretty honest guy. First name that comes to mind is John Hines. I had in New Jersey and man, he was really tough to play for. Mm-hmm. There were times when I was in Jersey where I was waking up, playing in the National Hockey League 25 years old, and I didn't want to go to the rink that day just because I knew we were going to get yelled at. I knew practice was going to be a nightmare. Uh, so first and foremost, I think it comes with establishing a culture where even if it's minus 40 in Edmonton right now, you're getting up and you're excited to go to the rink every day. And that's what I see from these guys. They look relaxed. They look free. It looks like Nobbs has kind of introduced this culture there where guys can kind of just be themselves. But then you see, you know, two, three weeks go by. And I, that was the biggest question I'd get asked. Is how long do these systems take to get in place with guys? And coaches don't even really worry about that their first couple games. They want to win hockey games and stuff, but they pretty much walk in and say, hey, you know, we're going to play a 2-1-2 off the neutral zone and a bit of a passive one one two two in the in the offensive zone. Systems don't change that much in hockey. There's no one's reinventing the wheel, but they he kind of lets them do their thing early, and then you start to kind of introduce your little your little quirks and stuff and and mechanisms that you want in the game. Whether it's set plays that I see them running a ton of in the offensive zone now and in the D zone. That's what I'm saying. They look more prepared, and Nobs gets to kind of start to roll all four, which Woody. You know, he didn't love doing. He loved, loved, you know, really riding the two two top lines pretty hard and, and really sending those guys out a ton. Um, Chris loves, loves rolling all four. So two, three weeks go by and then you get the X's and O's. So it, it's really a healthy combination of both guys. I am a sucker for for a good hockey nickname, but Knobs is is tough. Like I'm not even saying it's the wrong thing to call mm. him. It's just it's it's uh, it's a little jarring to hear at uh, eight fifteen. What, it, would, what it, would you prefer? Like, no, no, blocker, like, blocker, no, no, blocker, that's he's, the, no, no. He's right. I'm saying that mm-hmm. is the right name. It's just like you know, a lot of them we've heard more times than not. Yeah, knobs. like Knoblock is not a, a common hockey name, so I just can't say I, I'd heard that. It is the right one. Like I am such a sucker for mm-hmm. this. Uh, you'll appreciate this. My last name is Gunning. You know, Gunner. Gun- Everybody gives that to me, Luke. I had a guy who worked with me who called me Gunny, and it just like I didn't like it. I didn't question it. So I'm I am I'm always a sucker for the the right hockey uh, colloquialism. There, you you mentioned well, the co- hey. Well, I'll yeah. tell you, Nobs. I'll tell you, Knobloch, He's German, and his nickname Knobloch translated to English as garlic. So everyone at Edmonton calls him garlic. That's oh, really? that's great. That's better. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's so much better. Yeah, we should just okay. I'm happy I know that. Now I can start throwing that out and feel like I'm a part part of the club. So we've been talking coaching change. It's ever since the Leafs have gone on this bit of a skid. That part and parcel with the idea of it might be hard to make a trade right now to give your team the jump. If you're not going to make a trade, the other way to do it traditionally has been. Co- coaching change, kind of dead cap bounce there. I don't think Keith's the problem here. I'm also not blind to the idea of somebody who's not the problem sometimes, you know, pays for, for uh, pays the price for, for other things. What do you make of the idea of a possible coaching change in Toronto? And I don't think anybody thinks it's going to happen right now, but if they go uh, if they go with three more losses this week and all of a sudden it's six straight, uh, I could see a world where things get pretty loud here. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I think, as Toronto fans, especially, I'm going to say we because I grew up here and I am a Leaf fan. 
have have the tendency to uh, to really kind of overreact game by game, and it is a long year. But as I watch this thing go by, and the the losses and the way they're losing uh, is really starting to speak volumes. And I don't know how this is going to sound, but I don't think he's the problem, but I also don't think he's the solution. Mm. Um, I I think one thing that drives me nuts with Sheldon is his game management and his line management. Um, I I know how much players hate playing on different lines, and I understand that if things aren't working, you got to mix things up. But I mean, Sheldon just loves tossing the lines in a blender, showing up, throwing 12 names on a board. But I understand he probably puts a lot of thought and effort into them. But when you're playing guys on different lines all the time, it can really have an effect on them. And when I mean game management, listen, like fourth lines out there for that goal against Detroit with a buck and a half left in the game. And I should be biased towards this. Like I was a fourth line guy my entire career. I should be like, that's great. He's rolling all four till 90 seconds left in the game. But in a situation like that, I don't want, I didn't even want to be on the ice then. If he would have, if he would have said, guys, your line's up, I would have probably would have turned around and been like, I'm good. Send out buddy's line. I do not want to be out there. Oh, the lace like, broke. Shoot. It's, it's exactly. It's just like, uh, that was, it's small decisions like that where it's like, do they need to be out there at that point in the game? Probably not. Um, he's starting to do this kind of accountability thing where you saw the, the top line on Saturday, not play at all. John played three shifts or something in the third period. Mm. Um, so I, I really, once you start to see moves like that, it's generally never a good sign. And I really don't think he's lost the dressing room yet. Um, but like I said, when you start seeing kind of panic moves like that and you run in lines like that, um, it's, it's generally not a good thing. How, how does that manifest itself on the ice? Like, are, are players aware of the building narrative around their head coach? Like, do you think the, these Leaf uh, players understand that this is a big road trip, not just for themselves and to get off this 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 losing streak, but also for the career of their head coach? Like, he, this, this thing extends, God forbid, three consecutive losses to, to, to bring it to six and these three against Canadian franchises? I mean... I, I I'd put it at like maybe fifty fifty that that Sheldon Keefe survives uh, into next week. How how does that manifest itself for the players? Are they thinking about it? I would think so. I would think it's starting to creep in. But this is not an easy road trip. Coming out west, um, Edmonton's obviously playing real real well. Going into Saddle Dome is never easy. The Flames are humming right now. Vancouver, obviously, we all know about them and. I mean, to end the trip with Seattle, who just put together eight in a row, like this is a nightmare right now to go out to the West and, and have to play these. And I don't put this all on Sheldon going into the road trip. The guys certainly have to be better. That was very lax. The day is cool too. I should be adding. I mean, I'm, I was a player. I try to defend on the player's side as much as I can, but sometimes with this team, it's hard to do that, especially that like that Detroit game. Oh man, especially when you have the wings coming in and they show up late and they walk in in their track suits. Like you should just dust that team in the first period and just let them know that they don't have an inch. But now you got to pick your bags up and go on the road for these four. Oh man, and then they kind of have Winnipeg at home after that. I think too. It's just it's a bit of a gauntlet here, and I think. Looking ahead, looking ahead, man, they're, what are they, one point up on Tampa, one point up on the Wings, a couple games in hand, but mm-hmm. this could really be a turning point for their season, right? If they go out and show out and, and play well in this next little stretch, 
um, or they go the other way. It's, it, it could be pretty telling for, for the future of the season. Yeah, it'll be it'll be pretty interesting uh, in terms of future. One of the big question marks in in the league, you know, we're all we're all, we've all done the thing of looking a couple of years ahead to Connor McDavid next deal. But Leon Dreisaitl, he's going to have a, a discussion to be had this summer if he wants it in terms of an extension. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it was something along the lines of "I'll, I'll do what's best for me, and Connor will do what's best for Connor." Uh, if that quote would have been uttered in this market I, I i think the city still might be burning uh how was it perceived there and is there any worry at all do you do you think in terms of not signing those two because i think you just you know you tell them here's i don't know some some 25 30 million dollars you two figure it out but uh is there any you know angst among the fan base there at the upcoming negotiation for dry oh i'm sure there is but anyone that knows leon uh, i played with with uh, Leon for two years. He is about as dry as it gets. He's a grumpy old German that uh, just tells it like it is, really doesn't speak with much of a filter. And sometimes I think it can come off the wrong way. And and I truly don't think he meant anything by that. But I kind of said this on TV last week. He is so focused on the task at hand. And, like, I, I really... It sounds crazy to think or say that he hasn't thought about much about his contract when it's going to be that much money that many years. But I truly think that him and Connor, obviously the rest of the team too, but him and Connor especially are just so focused on this year and really, really wanting to push it as far as they can this year. Cup or bust, I know they said, but I just, I think he's putting that all aside until he really has to give real answers and he's going to give you. I mean, fans would love to hear the Willie Neal. Like the Edmonton fans would have loved to hear the Willie Neal editor. I love it here. It's home, this mm-hmm. and that. That's just not Leon. Leon, I think, is just, he's a lot drier. Uh, I don't want to say there's no personality because behind closed doors, he's one of the funniest human beings I've played with. But um, he's just, he, he just keeps it very low key. And I think he's so focused on the next game and the next five and the rest of the season that he's just going to kind of wait to the summer and his. Muskoka mansion to uh, to figure the rest of it out. No, I find him very entertaining from a distance. Putting the uh, Edmonton media on blast, I, oh, I quite enjoy ho- that. Hold actually. on, I'm I'm sorry, maybe I misheard. Does Leon Dreisaitl have a Muskoka mansion? Yeah, because I, I feel like his people... wife is is from okay, Ontario. I, right? I don't think I knew this. I uh, you know I've been so busy pumping the fires of Connor McDavid's uh, inevitable return before they hired his agent as the president out there. I didn't know that there was a Muskoka connection to Dreisaitl. That's that's interesting, Luke. So I'm not, I'm not sure if it's the house. I know Connor has one in Muskoka. Leon has an off-season home in Aurora. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Spends a lot. He spent a number of summers training with Gary Roberts, and uh, they do a lot of skills training up in Muskoka. Okay. Uh, Brady Leibold runs the skills up there. Yeah, and they have um, Sam Gagne and John Tavares basically run Muskoka hockey up there, and oh. they've turned they've turned Muskoka into a hotbed where a lot of the guys are spending their as they have in the past, but yes, Leon spends a lot of time in and around the GTA in the summer. I will say that. Okay, interesting. Good to know. I bu- this is like a verbal eyeballs emoji I'm doing to that comment from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a reunite everybody uh, in a couple of years in Toronto. Uh, Luke, uh, appreciate the time. Enjoy the game tonight. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Anytime. There's Luke Gazdick. Uh, Sportsnet NHL analyst, host of the Mitts Off podcast, our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Yeah, sure. Just bring everybody 
together. Well, it's I not, mean, like it's not like these are the first hockey players to have hung out in Muskoka. I under, right. like I understand, but I don't know the, the German guy. The German guy. Like I said, I th- I believe yeah that his his wife or significant other is from these parts. Okay, I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend to know, but I uh, wouldn't be remotely surprised by that. And uh, hey, everybody everybody on five million dollar deals, super team, let's go. I mean, the the cap will be $200 million by the time they're free agents anyways. That move by Matthews and Willie to lock in their money ahead of time. Yeah, that's smart. Uh, Ahead of the 2024 (laughs) Rogers NHL All-Star Game this year, we will be giving away family four-packs of tickets to the NHL Fanfare coming to Toronto February 1st through the 4th. Just listen for the daily code word in episodes of the Fan Morning Show today until January 26th, then text it to 59590 to be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is fanfare. Our next code word will be in tomorrow's episode. However, tickets to the fanfare also available for purchase at nhl.com slash fanfare while supplies last. When we come back, Jason Kelsey just uh, recently calling it a career, or at least the report is that he told his teammates at the conclusion of yesterday's game. Next stop for him will be Canton. I'll talk about that. Talk about what the Eagles do in general. We'll talk about this insane offseason as as far as available head coaches. And Bill Belichick interviewing with the Atlanta Falcons with Peter King of Football Morning in America next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. You know, I was a big fan of the Kelseys. My wife. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I think a lot of people's lives. <laughs> it's really, man. I know now that it, the relationship has lasted as long as it sure. is, like we can, you don't have to be skeptical about it anymore. They they seem very happy sure. together. Sure. Travis, Kelsey, and Taylor Swift. But my goodness, the it's one thing to be sports stars it's quite mm-hmm. another to be like world famous celebrity stars which like travis is not but like jason is as well jason had like the number two song in america with like his holiday album what? or something Yeah, the two of them like recorded some christmas song and it was like i think it was like number one album in america whatever it was taylor swift was doing at any given moment second kelsey brothers christmas special yeah so yeah it's remarkable yeah no it's quite a thing and a remarkable career for jason kelsey who it is now reported has uh told his teammates at least that he is uh ret- Retiring from the Philadelphia Eagles. What a time to go out as the Eagles lose yet again uh, in their first postseason game in Tampa as road favorites uh, and uh, an offseason of great intrigue surrounding that franchise. Let's talk to Peter King of Football Morning in America. Good morning, Peter. Are there no televisions in Las Vegas? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did, have they not seen the Philadelphia Eagles play over the last month? They stink. Yeah. They stink. And they continued to stink <laughs> last night. I mean, my only counter was in picking that game was that the Buccaneers only scored nine points against the Panthers in a must-win game in Week 18. But yeah, no, they, they, you're right. You ended up being very correct as uh, they gave up 32 to that Buccaneers, the aforementioned Buccaneers team that only scored nine uh, against that uh, will-be-gotten Panthers team. And the Eagles go into this offseason a year removed from a Super Bowl and uh, a season in which they did factually win 11 games with massive question marks. <laughs> I like that. I like that. In, uh, that they factually won oh, well, I know. 11 games. 
you almost you almost have to go back and check it, know. you know, because you just can't believe a team that that played that way over the last six weeks could have won no. eleven games. How possibly could they have done it? I don't know. And they were ten and one. And we looked at that Jets loss as, oh, well, that's just a blip. And, yeah, they are uh, w- one of the true Super Bowl favorites. Anyways, that's a million years ago. I mean, is Nick Sirianni truly in danger of losing his job this offseason? I, I think he is. I mean, I'll just tell you this. There are some teams in the NFL, the Eagles are among them, who are a pretty, <clears throat> even though they live in a city, that is the most emotionally attached positively and negatively to its football team. And everything is always the extreme there. It's the greatest team we've ever seen, or this is the worst team we've ever seen. Even though they have intense interest in them and all that stuff, they are a pragmatic thinking team when it comes to uh, what they're going to do. And it's one of the reasons why they went out and got Chip Kelly a decade ago, because they thought that Chip Kelly's genius offense was going to lead to, uh, this was going to be the next generation of football. Um, and, and, you know, look, going, going way back, uh, back into the late nineties, that's why they hired Andy Reid and whatever, 98 or 99 as a tight ends coach from the green Bay Packers because they just thought this guy was next and he was. So the, the Philadelphia Eagles are not afraid to do something that is contrarian, which is to say, instead of just giving the head coach a mulligan after six bad weeks, if they think the head coach has lost this team and it appears to me that he has, if they think he's lost this team, they'll fire him. And that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. They're a very, very clandestine organization. So I can't tell you like which way they're leaning, but just knowing the people involved, my guess is that they're going to fire Nick Sirianni and start over. And I, I, you know, look, Jeff Lurie is from Boston and he reveres, a lot of things, New England, and it would not surprise me at all if he and Howie Roseman were saying, we got to get in on the Bill Belichick. Uh, you know, we got to get in on him before he signs somewhere. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll just put my bias on the on the table there, Peter. You know, I'm a I'm a Patriots fan, and uh, you know I've heard the rumblings of Belichick ending up in Atlanta, and you know I, I'm not saying he couldn't make it work there, but it just doesn't quite frankly feel right. Like he doesn't feel like a Falcons coach, but it's below he, his brand. Yeah, it does. Kind of. I was trying to be nice about it, but that's what I was getting at. The Eagles does feel right now. Obviously, Belichick is a bit of a different animal, and you know maybe some people would think this is a crazy thing to say about a center, but I don't think it's a crazy thing to say about a Hall of Famer if the reports are true and we, we expect that they are that, that Jason Kelsey's retiring here what does that do to the sexiness or desirability of that job because obviously there's still a ton of pieces in place but we know how important offensive line continuity is and just what he means to that team as a, as a captain and again he's not your standard offensive lineman he is special does it make that job or I, I shouldn't say does it how much uh, less attractive does it make that job not having Kelsey as a as a well not a building block but a foundational piece it was 
I think everyone around the Philadelphia Eagles thought that Jason Kelsey was going to retire at the end of this year. In fact, many thought he was going to retire at the end of last year. And he didn't because the Eagles got so close and they're within a field goal at the end. And it was only their defensive collapse at the end that cost them the Super Bowl. So I think he came back for one more bite at the apple, but I don't, I can't in mid season this year, you would not have found five people in the Philadelphia Eagles organization out of 200 who would say, yeah, I think Kelsey's going to run it back for 2024. Mm. He was all, this was always going to be it. So I don't think it really matters at all. I mean, I think what the Philadelphia Eagles are right now is a team that has only one coach that I believe it's Jeff Stoutland, their offensive line coach, totally not a sexy guy, but he's the best offensive line coach in football. And that's a guy who it doesn't matter who comes in and coaches this team. They're going to make Jeff Stoutland a a foundational piece of whatever they do going forward. But I think it's a good job. Jalen Hurts is a really good quarterback. They have some good offensive weapons. I think it's a very good job. The question is, and I agree with you about Atlanta, Belichick to Atlanta, Mm. unless, unless, they're going to go get Kirk Cousins unless they're going to trade right up to the top and go get one of these great quarterbacks or supposedly great quarterbacks that I'm mind boggled every year. We fall for the same horse crap, which is (laughs) Caleb Williams and whoever else. These are franchise guys. They can't miss. Why is it that some of the guys who everybody says they can't miss, why indeed can they miss and do they miss? (laughs) And, you know, so, so I I don't know what they're going to do, but in my opinion, I think Dallas and Philadelphia, if Philadelphia opens, if Dallas opens, we all assume Dallas will open. Mm. No one really knows about Philadelphia yet. We, that those are going to be far more attractive jobs than a place like Atlanta. I mean, this feels like a very singular moment in NFL history with the available head coaches out there, right? Like we're talking about the greatest Definitely. of all time and, and Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh returning to the fray and Mike Vrabel's out there, shockingly. I mean, Pete Carroll, if you want to go down, like we might have Mike Tomlin available. I mean, does this, be. yeah, does this impact, like does it make it more likely that a team like Dallas, which has been loath to move off its head coaches under Jerry Jones uh, proactively, does it make it, more more likely that a team that yeah, is kind of humming and hawing as to whether they, they should do it, that considering the available candidates, that it's more likely that a team like that might do it. There's, some, there's something that happens when you get to the end of a season in any sport. Sometimes you say, hmm, Bill Belichick is out there. We should go get him. Sometimes you say, hmm, our team is in free fall. It doesn't matter who we get. We got to change coaches. Mm -hmm. And there are sometimes you say, let's weather the storm. I cannot imagine Jerry Jones waking up this morning and thinking anything other than I I have to make a change. Even if we don't get Bill Belichick, I got to make a change because the Dallas Cowboys in three consecutive years have been totally absolutely. And let's not even include the garbage time play of that offense, which almost to me was offensive. 
you know, when they're when they're scoring all these points at the end of the game, when they're totally out of the game, you know, there's and and you say, where was this in the first quarter when the game mattered? Now it's like a third preseason game, and you're putting up points like, uh, you know, it's a video game, and and you know that <clears throat> you have to really ask yourself some questions about Dak Prescott. I would be if I were the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't, and I'm not saying that I'm thinking of moving on from Dak Prescott, but you know what I want for Dak Prescott? I want somebody to basically come in and read him the riot act. And, and, and what I mean is, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but when Randy Moss was traded on draft day, for a bag of peanuts to the Patriots from the Oakland Raiders. When he was traded to the Patriots, his first team meeting, he and Dante Stallworth were new Patriots. And this was in a May mini camp. And they had not won the Super Bowl the previous year, but Randy Moss and Dante Stallworth are sitting there and Bill Belichick goes to the front of the room and he's talking about everything. And he goes, okay, here's where we are right now. And he starts talking about the team and Bill Belichick gets up there and he is showing some tape and he, and he, and he starts calling Tom Brady, Johnny Foxborough. He says, Hey Brady, you know, Johnny Foxborough could have made this throw. You have got to be better. We've all got to be better. And Randy Moss is like dropping to the floor. He can't believe (laughs) that Brady, who's got three Super Bowls, is being dressed down in a team meeting by the head coach of this team. He was shocked. But that is what Bill Belichick is going to do. So if he goes into any place, that is what, in my opinion, I think that's what Dak Prescott needs. Not anybody who says, Dak, we love you. You're the greatest here. Here's how I'm going to make you 3% better. It's, hey, Dak, you've got a major hole in your game. You stink in the postseason. We've got to figure out a way to do something about it, and I'm going to coach the crap out of you. And, and if I'm Jerry Jones, that's what I want right now. Yeah, I think that's the way you have to go about it because, you know, it'd be different if you're a team in a different position than the Cowboys where you can say, all right, Dak's not the answer. Let's start fresh. But there's no starting fresh with that team that you have now. And, I mean, let's be honest, it's Jerry Jones. There's kind of no starting fresh unless you have no other option. The the thing I do wonder about the possibility of them moving on is, and, you know, we've talked about this a lot throughout the season, Peter, the idea of the year of the backup quarterback. And we've seen guys who you wouldn't expect much from come in and have a fair amount of success success you know for years it was if you have a quarterback you can't move on from that because what else is out there it's just such a dearth of of options but all of a sudden maybe there are some kind of gems out there to be found do you think the fact that so many backups came in and had to a certain extent some success this year gives teams you know and I'm not saying just the Cowboys but a team like them it does cause them to look and say "Mm, maybe we do need to make sure that we don't look for somebody good enough at quarterback because good enough is easier to find than maybe we once thought? That's a really interesting question. And after you get away from the emotion of this season and start to truly think pragmatically, uh, I don't think at the end of the day you would ever do that and say, we're going to start from scratch at quarterback because Dak Prescott has a ceiling 
and he's not good enough. I think you say Dak Prescott has not had somebody to come in to say his two head coaches have been Jason Garrett and Mike McCarthy, who are smart X and O coaches, but neither of whom is what you would call a disciplinarian. And anybody who might uh, come in and really, really coach him hard. Bill Parcells, whatever, I think it was 21 years ago, came into Dallas. And what really struck me when he took that job is he drew a line of demarcation between show business and football business inside the Cowboys. He understood that Jerry Jones was going to be about the show business. And that's great. Go ahead and do whatever you want. I am not involved in that. And keep that out of my football team. And I'm telling you, that is what Bill Belichick would do. Jerry needs that right now. Mm. Yeah, would he be willing to accept it is maybe an interesting question. Um, let, let's look ahead to the the AFC divisional playoffs and a rematch from a couple of years ago, the the Chiefs and Bills. The Chiefs going to play their first ever road playoff game if we don't include that Super Bowl in Tampa against the, the Bucs, which I don't think we should. It was a, yeah, it was a neutral site uh, game, it being a Super Bowl. And, of course, yeah, uh, the Bills fans will... Uh, very much remember the 13 seconds remaining the end of regulation and the overtime loss in that game. Uh, the Chiefs, after a very disappointing offensive season, kind of looked the part. Hey, I know there's a bunch of field goals, a lot of, you know, stalled drives in the red zone. Uh, but Rasheed Rice with 130 yards on eight catches against the Dolphins in the frigid temperatures. If you're a Chiefs fan, maybe you're believing that some of the offensive problems they've suffered during the regular season are behind them. How do you look at this matchup? Two months and two weeks ago, I covered the Cowboy. I covered the Kansas City Miami game in Germany, and Kansas City just barely, uh, you know, got by in that game. They won it twenty-one fourteen. They had a defensive touchdown. Uh, their offense really looked like it was in trouble. And after that game, Patrick Mahomes looked me in the eye and he said, "We will fix the offense." I will guarantee that. And so it's been a long process. It's been an ugly process. Uh, It's been a process where suddenly I don't understand why Travis Kelsey is dropping passes left and right. Yeah, shocking. Uh, It's just very weird. Maybe distracted by something. Maybe. I mean, who knows? But I do think, I do think that an Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes offense at some point, and I don't want to be so simple as to say they figure it out, but you know what? They figure it out. And in my opinion, what is happening right now in Kansas City is a rookie coming of age in a long season, late in the season, and that's the story of Rasheed Rice, and he is desperately needed right now. In fact, I never thought I would say this, but obviously Mahomes is is number one. But the two most important pieces of this offense, other than Mahomes right now, are Isaiah Pacheco, a seventh-round draft pick, 2022, out of Rutgers, and Rasheed Rice, a second-round pick out of SMU, who those two guys are will be the reason if they win the game in Buffalo on Sunday – They'll be the reason, in my opinion, why they win. The offense, in my opinion, has to run in large part through the running game right now, and that is Isaiah Pacheco. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. Uh, quick one for you before we go, Peter. Uh, just a you know an interesting way to phrase it, I, I th- or frame it in my opinion. But uh, who has more to lose coming up this weekend, Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen? I mean, I suppose you could say Allen already has the playoff win, but both those guys have some playoff question marks. And you know, say what you will about the Chiefs, I think you laid out the strides they've made, but they're also far from a perfect football machine this year. Uh, of those two guys, who do you think has more at stake this weekend, Jackson or, or Allen? Lamar Jackson, absolutely no question. Lamar Jackson has played in four playoff games. He's one in three. He has put up a total of 52 points in those four games. That's 13 points a game. He has been a weak playoff quarterback. He would admit that. Anybody around the Ravens would admit that. He cannot, and he lost as a number one seed you know, to uh, Tennessee at home. And so uh, this is a crucial game for Lamar Jackson. And I think if Kansas City beats Buffalo, unless Josh Allen throws six interceptions, I don't think anybody's going to say, boy, I really have questions about Josh Allen's efficacy as a quarterback. You know, he'll be back next year taking another shot at it. But to me, I think Lamar Jackson's got a lot on the line uh, Saturday against the Houston Texans. Hopefully we get a few more competitive games than we got uh, over the first uh, weekend of NFL playoff football. It was only one. Uh, it was a pretty good one, though, in Detroit, and uh, Lions fans will take it. Uh, Peter, I uh, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. There's Peter King, football morning in America. I mean, some people on this very program are mm. saying you got to – you got to defer to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs until you see it not happen mm-hmm. in the postseason and so far through one week. And we'll see them going on the road for the first time in Patrick Mahomes' tenure as quarterback of the Chiefs. So far, though, proving to be correct. Yeah, no, the Chiefs, honestly, they're just like, they proved so much playing a Dolphins team that you've called frauds all year long in a game that was probably the coldest any of those Dolphins and players even have still, ever experienced. I mean, it was also life. cold for the Chiefs, right? Yeah, who, like, who offense who was hard to come Missouri by. in Missouri and have played in a ton of cold games before. Like, I'm not, not making... Rishi Rice. This is a rookie campaign. Oh, okay, good. There's one guy. Congrats. Like, well, he, I mean, but he's the difference maker, right? He like, played he's, well. It was nice to see. He's the guy you're like, who, who is outside of Travis Kelsey who yep. dropped three passes yeah. in that game, which was, yeah, uh-huh. jarring. And it, yeah, I, it was very, very cold. Yeah, it was so cold. I, his the wearing gloves. Cracked. He was wearing He was wearing gloves. Um, but yeah, that's you just need somebody, somebody for mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes to go deep to, and Rasheed Rice in one playoff game proved to be that guy. Yeah, against the Dolphins team that you've called frauds all year long. So congrats, they beat frauds. <sighs> yeah, I just, mean, I'm just, frauds. just can't two things be true? No, they can, but I don't think they can prove anything by beating frauds. <sighs> I guess is what I'm getting. At. I, I mean, there were plenty of times during the regular season where the Chiefs, yeah, beat themselves. In, well, you looked incapable of beating even a fraud. <laughs> Anyways. Congrats to them, then. Look at where you are. Who'd have thought we'd get here? Not me. Hey, Leafs, yeah, they beat the Sharks, but lots of times this Leafs team wouldn't have beaten the Sharks. (laughs) It's very true. All right, Leafs Oilers tonight. (laughs) We'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Annis, Frank Dunning, Sportsnet 590 Fan. Good Good morning. morning.